Cantillon in Buenos Aires from the Department of Services. Domingo de Basa Vilbaso and Richard Cantillon watched as the pilot rode a portly man wearing a 30-year-old ginger wig out to sea. The waters of the Plata shone, as was its repute, like a lake of silver. A crescent moon smiled down at them from the darkening blue sky which melted into the ocean to the east. In the distance... They saw the harbour master leaving his office. A flock of seagulls flew low over the long grass, and roosting parrots chattered in the trees. In Wales they play the same trick. So tired are they of the weight of the jingoistic English prejudices transmitted through the courts that they turned the evidence of their disapproval into a successful means of self-preservation said Cantillon. Vasa Bilbaso returned to his telescope. It was positioned on a robust wooden tripod and pointed towards the great sea of silver. Behind him the sun was setting into the hills, casting pink rays across the hulks in the bay. He was thinking about his dinner as he adjusted the brass screw that held the telescope in place. When he was satisfied... As his guest spoke, he looked through the lens. When they united those countries, the victorious English found it difficult to differentiate between their Welsh peoples, claiming that they all looked and sounded the same. So they gave them all the same name, John, which became Johns and even Jones. Now it is practically impossible for an English judge to distinguish between all the generations of John, Johns and Joneses. Most of the men in my family are called Thomas or Richard. I am Richard, but I could just as easily be Thomas. My name is a means of obfuscation for the avoidance of prejudice. It's not a real name. Like John Jones... It is a means of non-identification, created as a response to an arrogant assumption. All I can say is that I'm quite sure that I am not the person I call myself. I can't be him. He is a shield against discovery. I'm not sure I understand the point, said the young man, straightening his back, producing a notebook and pencil from his pocket. He began to scribble in his book. I'm not sure why you took up residence amongst those dreadful people in the first place. Two reasons, said Cantillon, undistracted by Basseville Vasso's work. Bolingbroke and vanity. The former is a persuasive force of nature, with about as much common sense as one of those chinchillas you're so fond of eating, and the latter, a hope that all low-born people share, a desire to connect and adhere to the established traditions of a community. I saw in London a place where I believed 
a man could prosper, a place where it might be possible for anyone to become a good Englishman through his endeavours. Since my field was that of banking and finance, I could think of no better place in the world to base my business. But in the eyes of the English legal system, a successful cantillon, living in the heart of London, with friends in all the high places, many of them owing him large amounts of money on account of their willingness to gamble on anything from tulips to bear-baiting, had what you might call a short shelf life. And in the end, that galleon, which I'd almost forgotten about, the one I purchased from Defoe more out of kindness than a desire to delve into merchanting, rotting into the mud on the cockle-beds of Essex, became my escape-pod, almost as its original owner foretold. And what might you say about the Spanish system? asked Basivir Basso, returning to the lens and peering out into the bay. The one you want to buy into. Worse with money, better with God, said Cantillon. We have an opportunity here, said Basseville Basso, pushing his soft beret-like hat back on his head as if it was interfering with his observations. His brow was furrowed. I know, said Cantillon. I've already sold my ship for more money than I paid for it thirty years ago to Mr O'Higgins. On account of my observations of Defoe's capacity for inventive speculation, he thinks I came here in a ship that plies the straits between the earth and the moon. Basaville Basso nodded. The visitor liked him, just as Maria suggested he would. Basaville Basso did not allow unlikeliness to obscure his vision. Do you know what I'm searching for? He muttered as he moved stiffly away from his telescope. Take a look. The visitor approached the telescope carefully. He'd seen how difficult it had been for Basabil Masso to set the instrument up and tune it to its purpose. I have plans, said Basabil Basso, to develop the interior, securing our position. One day I hope that the King of Spain will visit us here. I can assure you, Domingo, said the visitor, the King of Spain will have no more interest in a Basque from Buenos Aires than the King of England has in a Kerryman from Albemarle Street. I see nothing. Just sea and or sky. I'm not sure which, he added. Look harder, said Basseville Basso. Is that a man waving his arms? asked Cantillon. This is how the new world will be conquered, said Basseville Basso, gently pushing Cantillon aside. That is one of my men, Cantillon, and he is signalling the release of the birds. Cantillon nodded, as if he understood. Really, he said. They will return to us from a distance of several leagues, many to the roosts at my house. Each week I persuade Claudio to venture a little further. Soon I will ask Commander Miguel de Salcedo Sierra Alta to put them on the next sloop to Montevideo, and because of their training, they will bring us back messages from the other side of the platter. Don't you see, if you live like us, on the edge of the table, communication, even in the form of parakeets, is vital. How, how old are you? asked Cantillon. Twenty-five, said Vasil Vaso his almond eyes glinting in the sunlight. Excellent, muttered Cantillon, 
I regard you as exceptionally wise. Who would have thought of trying to train parakeets to carry messages? In the distance, they could see the pilot's boat had arrived at its destination. Across the calm silver sea, they could hear the voice of the pilot, as mellow and harmonious as if it was being played on a violin. Then they heard O'Higgins. His voice sounded like the crowd in his tavern. No answer came to either. Hello, I present you with your new captain, Bernardo O'Higgins. May we step aboard? Ahoy, shipmates! I'm O'Higgins. I'm not familiar with the lunar languages. I come in peace. Basil Basso stood. Would you accompany me to my house? I would like to know more. Did you really start the fire of London? The visitor smiled. You're about the same age as that priest. Is he a friend of yours? asked Cantillon. Silhouetted by the darkening sky and the brightening moon, he watched the two figures ascending the netting that lay over the side of his vessel. We can watch the birds returning and I can introduce you to my family. After that I'll see what I can do for you as regards a suitable premises. You can't build a new world from your bedchamber, can you? There was a knock on Cantillon's door. He opened it to reveal Maria whose shield hid her eyes from the bright sunlight pouring in through the open shutters overlooking the shoreline. Ah, Maria, he said, look at that morning. Isn't it wonderful? Maria deposited new clothes on Cantillon's bed and a silver-topped cane, which he immediately picked and swished around like a sword. Stop doing that, shouted Maria. You'll have someone's eye out. Cantillon obliged, handing Maria a small wallet of coins. "'May I ask um, a question?' she asked. "'You may,' said Cantillon. "'Where do you get your money from?' she said. <laughs> "'I attract it,' said Cantillon. "'It it comes to me like, like inspiration. "'I'm an entrepreneur.' And, "'And what might that be?' asked Maria. "'We are all, to some extent, entrepreneurs,' said Cantillon. I don't think that can be right, said Maria. Cantillon walked towards the cathedral. He swung his cane and said good morning to everyone he passed. He stepped into the shoemakers and after ordering three new pairs, he ascended the stairs to his new office, pausing only to read the silver letters on the still wet paint of the sign affixed to the door. R. Cantillon. B. P. A. Bank of Buenos Aires. Soon plans to build the biggest cathedral in the southern hemisphere to create the most wide-ranging postal system the world had known since the time of the Great Khan in the Russian wilderness and to form new towns to rival their ancient equivalents at Cordoba, Granada and Sevilla began to take shape. With the pen he borrowed from the harbour-master and the collateral he received from the sale of the Consolidator, the chief executive of the BBA issued bonds guaranteeing the value of the tremendous opportunities the interior provided. 
The bank proved so popular that it was copied many times, almost instantaneously, so that within days men and women carrying silver canes, wearing corn-coloured jackets and rather ostentatious hats paraded the streets before sundown. It was as if Cantillon's observation had become a premonition, or that's how it seemed when the people remembered him. Everything he did, or said, was successful. He could see things that were real before they existed. He seemed to be able to create wealth just by thinking about it. It seemed that everyone called themselves by Cantillon's name, entrepreneur, although few, if any, understood what it meant. Indeed, there were some who suspected that, when it came down to it, only the man who coined the word had a thorough grasp of its true meaning, and even he was a little shady about the detail, saying things like, I've written a book on the subject. Unfortunately, the pirates who took the treasure at Hispaniola were also keen to retain as many of my papers as they could store in the hold of their vessel. We shall have to wait to see if they're able to find a publisher. It was not long before Cantillon was able to buy his ship back from O'Higgins and regain possession of the book he had retrieved from the collection of banned texts in the dark corner of the library. That ship no more went to the moon than I did, said O'Higgins, tossing Defoe's book, which Cantillon had said described the voyage of the vessel into space, across the tavern. I'm happy to repay you at twice the original price to compensate you for your trouble, said Cantillon, pushing a small leather wallet full of coins across the surface of the bar. The pilot pulled on the oars of the wooden punt, as they moved back out across the, the Silver River. The visitor trailed his fingers in the cool water, a trickle of sweat running down his forehead. The mid-afternoon sun was ferocious. When you arrived, you said you had a crew, said the pilot. But when I came to this ship with that ridiculous publican with his wig of horsehair and Donegal tweed and his documents about the moon... There was nobody on this vessel. It was empty. The visitor sighed as the pilot shipped her oars and let the punt glide towards the shady wooden wall of the consolidator. He grabbed the netting that hung from the deck. It's a little large for one man to sail, he said. Here. The visitor gave the pilot his book. I'm very glad to say it's banned throughout the jurisdiction of the Spanish Empire. It was given to me by the priest at the cathedral as thanks for my work on the roof. I know, said the pilot. He told me. Cantillon scrutinised the pilot. Yeah, well, thank you. You've been very kind. You better cast off, said the visitor. If you stay much longer... You'll lose sight of the shore. Maria watched as her daughter opened the book. What's it about? she asked. I don't know, she said. It's about a ship that can sail to the moon. Is that where he's gone? I don't know, said the pilot. He said he knew the man who sold it to him, and now he finds himself unable to stop sailing it, as if stopping was a kind of death. Actually, he didn't say that, she added, 
leaning forward to correct herself, he said that stopping was like suicide. If he stayed here any longer, he'd kill himself, just like he did before. The pilot began to read. A smile crossed her face. She closed the book and rested it on her legs, which were resting on the milking stool. That was quick, said Maria. I prefer mine, said the pilot. There's nothing new here. Buenos Aires was recorded by the Department of Services. The music was from Dureme Puede Matar. <laughs>